Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. We're ready to go. It is 12 o'clock sharp, and I've been threatened to get things going at 12 o'clock sharp. Right, Lisa? Everything's working, Lisa. It says in my notes, make sure everything is working. Lisa, is everything working? Okay, how's everybody look out there? Good. Good. Hello! Welcome to the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Today's topic, doping in sports, who wins and who loses. My name is Dylan Purcell. I am the sports editor at the Lethbridge Herald, and I will be moderating today, or at least attempting to moderate. As such, I'm going to ask first that everybody shut off their cell phones. I'm also going to have to make sure that everybody throws their $11 in the basket at the center of each table. And then if someone at the table can just make sure that enough money's in there, otherwise we have security here and they'll escort you out. There he is right at the back. Also, if you're, are there any politicians in the building? Okay, if you're a politician, this session is being recorded. So please be careful, all right? We, we, we do not need anyone losing their job because of this. Well... That's right. I get, I get great headlines if someone says something untoward. The cost for lunch, by the way, is $11, just making sure everybody knows. All right, ready? Lisa, yeah. you're selling memberships? Yeah. SACPA memberships are a great idea. You, do you save money? No. You know what? You just donate because it's the only way we get these sessions going, and these sessions are wonderful. There's a lot of great information today. All right, are we ready? We're ready to go? Tim? Oh, I have to thank business partners. We have business partners, Country Kitchen Catering. If you enjoy the food, say so. If you don't enjoy the food, just shh. The UofL helps out with what? Support, distribution of the pamphlets, things like that. Getting the word out. Shaw TV broadcasts these events Sunday at 4.30. Sunday at 4.30 on Shaw. What channel's Shaw? Channel 9. Channel 9. Look at that. I don't watch local television, but if you want to see this session again Sunday at 4.30, tell your friends. Also, the Lethbridge Herald, which not only promotes and covers these sessions, but also pays my wage, so yay. They don't pay me a lot, but they pay me a bit. Today's presentation should take 25 to 30 minutes, then we eat. Am I right here, Lisa? Then we eat. Then we eat. Then we have questions. Tim Takahashi right here will be handling all that. If he goes too long, don't worry, I've got the hook. I'll pull him off stage. Make sure everybody eats. While you're eating, everybody's invited. Talk about the presentation, key points, things like that. Come up with some questions, some talking points, so that when question period starts, we've got a good debate going. Um, let's see. Oh, the goal is to shut down by 1.30, which is good, because I have a 2 p.m. meeting. So if we can get done by 1.30, perfect. Now, I'm going to shut up and introduce Tim Takahashi. I had, a, I had a wonderful piece written on Tim and everything he's accomplished as a judo athlete involved with the Lethbridge Judo Club. Wonderful athlete. He's not talking about judo today. Tim is a certified athletic therapist, exercise physiologist. I'm going to grab some water there, Josh. I got a lot of big words here because Tim has a lot of education. 19, what, 1998, Tim? 1998. He's worked as a doping control officer at the Vancouver Winter Olympics. Oh my goodness, in Whistler. Beautiful. He's been a member of Team Canada's medical staff at multiple... Thank you. 
at multiple judo championships and track and field championships. How many, Tim? Since 1994, judo and track championships. I, a wonderful job. He's got a master's degree in kinesiology from the University of Calgary. Boo. He's a certified strength and conditioning specialist. He teaches at the University of Lethbridge in the faculty of kinesiology. And I've heard from several kinesiology students. He's wonderful. Uh, he's currently the two-time men's judo lightweight masters Canadian national champion. He serves as a sports injury and sports performance consultant to... Just about every high-level athlete you'll read about in the pages of the Lethbridge Herald. He treats ev- Olympians, national university champions, national college champions. They all find their way to Tim eventually if they want the best. And he's going to talk to us about doping in sports. Who wins, who loses. And I'd like you to put your hands together and welcome Tim Takahashi. I think this thing is too tall, or I'm too short. I don't know what's the one. <laughs> Anyways, I'll try and do my best with this. So, oh, thanks, Tad. Oh, thanks. We'll put the advertising back up later. Thanks. Okay. Well, when we hear about doping in sport, unfortunately, this is the first thing we think of. This uh, cartoon basically has an athlete getting uh, getting some food, and the lady behind the desk says, "Okay, one athlete's menu. You want drugs with that?" And so. Um, I was just chatting with Dylan quickly about, uh, uh, you know, I have a, I have a daytime job. Uh, I do uh, doping control and drug testing as, um, I guess, a hobby, something I love, something I believe in. And so it's not my full-time job. Um, most of the doping control officers in Canada primarily have done it as a volunteer, but have only just become casual employees in the past two years. So... Canada is one of the very, very few countries in the world that all the doping control officers and the doping control program is primarily um, on a casual basis or by volunteer. And uh, USADA, the United States uh, Doping Association, are all paid. Uh, Everyone else is paid as a full-time job. So I just show this as a funny example, but uh, a lot of times when we talk about doping in sport, does the the end justify the means? Um, You know, everyone wants an end result, but how do you get there? And there are certainly shortcuts in life on how to get there. So uh, this is, uh, and in fact, opening sport is one of them. So I, I just need to speak really quickly about the CCS. The CCES stands for the Canadian Centre for Ethics in Sport. Uh, that is the uh, body in Canada that oversees uh, pretty much all of the testing and ethical uh, behaviour conduct of sport in Canada. And the mission of the CCS is uh, to foster ethical sport for all Canadians. And I just bring this up as, are you a role model? I think you are a role model. Absolutely. Every single one of you. Uh, with, uh, if you're older, you have grandchildren, you have children, um, what you do, uh, people see. And it's per- certainly if you're successful, they will copy what you do if you have had some success. It doesn't matter what area of life. So this is my nephew. He, uh, this is when he was younger. He loved Richard Brodeur. And there was a point in his life where he would do everything Richard Brodeur would do. He would, you know, he would move around the, the net just like him. He'd tuck his shirt in like him. He would have the mannerisms in. I'm sure if Richard Brodeur took a product and started promoting it, he would want his dad to go buy that product. So you are a role model, whether you, like to, whether you believe you are or not. 
So the CCS purpose is basically to administer Canada's anti-doping program. Um, a lot of this is just some background, but it's just to serve the public interest, protect the rights of athletes to fair and ethical competition, and pr by promoting and striving for fair and doping-free sport in Canada. And uh, the CCS purpose also is to meet the WADA uh, requirements. WADA is the World Anti-Doping Association. So uh, the CCS... Uh, Pretty much the fundamental of it is it's supposed to govern or it's supposed to uh, administer Can Canadian policy against doping sport or the Canadian anti-doping policy. And what that means is, is that every athlete in Canada, when they pay their money for registration, all by virtue of being involved with, a, with an organization, say, I promise to not cheat. I promise not to take drugs. And uh, essentially, why adopt the CADP? Well, government or the... Uh, individual associations won't receive government funding without uh, them signing on through this. So um, that just ensures that everyone uh, who plays sport in Canada will do it in an ethical fashion. Or I guess you just don't get money from the government. <laughs> so this is just a, a quick survey. I just want to go through this. This is Canadian Attitudes Towards Sport. This was presented at our uh, national conference. I was just there last month. And there was a survey commissioned in February, so very, very recent. It surveyed online two groups, the general public, like yourselves, and then all of the high-performance athletes in Canada. There's a registered testing pool of 509 athletes. These are essentially the highest elite-level athletes in their sport, all receiving government funding. So these, they're paid to train. So these are the best athletes. And they had a, a, a survey. The first question was, what percent... Uh, what percent think Canada is doing a good job ensuring its athletes are clean? So, you can think of a number in your head, but uh, you can think high or low. But out of this survey, 85% of the athletes, these are the elite, Olympic level, or high level, national level athletes, believe Canada is doing a good job ensuring its athletes are clean. I thought that was very good. Only 67% of the public believe that the Canada is doing a good job. So there's just a, there's a different, definitely different perception, public versus who actually are out there. The other one was, what percent think efforts to catch people are always one step behind? And I'm one of those people on the front line trying to catch those people. And so here's what the athletes thought. 77% of the athletes thought that we were doing a pretty good job uh, in trying to catch people in terms of, of uh, sorry, in terms of, in terms of trying to catch people, we were 77% believe that we were behind, okay? So we were one step behind, and that is probably true. And 76% uh, of the Canadians thought we were behind, too. So as a group, Canadians as a whole and the athletes uh, themselves believe that we are one step behind. In some areas, we are. Some areas, we're not, but we're getting better. And I will talk about this a little bit later, but basically the whole Lance Armstrong issue uh, has made it much better for us to catch people. So <laughs> anyway, so here are some other results. Perception of the CCS. So what was the perception of the, CC the CCES and what we were doing good? Maintaining the integrity of the system so, uh, and treating athletes with respect. So they basically thought that we were doing a good job. We were treating them with respect. We weren't being overbearing, we weren't being in too inconvenient, we're being, not being disruptive to them, so we thought that was excellent. Uh, doping as an ongoing concern for many athletes. What percent of athletes are confident that their sport is generally doping-free? Only 18% of the athletes were confident that their sport was generally doping-free. So uh, it's, you know, that's obviously we want that. But 34% say they think so, but they're not fully confident. 
The last one was what percent of athletes can see that doping definitely occurs at all levels at 19%. So 19% believe that it occurs at all levels. So uh, I think this is, to summarize this survey, which was excellent, was really good information for us, was this. What percentage of athletes say that they have a personal awareness of doping? They have personally witnessed someone doping or they actually know someone. There is a lot of... Um, information there's a lot of tips there's a lot of rumors out there but this is how how many actually know and this shocked me actually 16 percent are definitely sure that they have personal awareness of someone doping and i don't have time to go into it but we had a big session on what is the difference between um information and uh, intelligence and intelligence is the biggest part of anti-doping now is to try and find information that's gone through a process that is rigorous and we know for a fact that they are doping and then we'll go test them. Not just to randomly test everyone to try and catch someone like a big fish net with these huge holes in them. <laughs> so, uh, current situation. So, to summarize basically the current situation, majority of athletes are clean. Uh, we, we, we do think that majority of them are. Is it getting worse? Probably. Is it getting better? Unlikely. Um, science alone will not eradicate cheating. Doping athletes are better funded. They are very sophisticated. And unfortunately, they're the uh, organized doping rings, I guess, for the lack of a better term, is uh, linked to a criminal element. And there's much more uh, coordination with law enforcement now. So we actually communicate with uh, border, uh, RCMP, all those groups, and share intelligence. Um, collection of information to support and drive intelligent testing is now part of the anti-doping program. And then there are several partnerships, which I just talked about. So, um, essentially, Dick Pound was the first water president. And he's pretty much said this back in 2007, and this is what's happening, is that we, we in order to, to properly fight against doping, beyond the current model of just testing, it requires more unified cooperative action among law enforcement anti-doping agencies. So that's really what it is. To shut down source and supply, and that certainly sounds like a jingle that you hear with the police. So there's some questions to consider. Should we care about doping in sport or drugs in sport? Is drug use acceptable in society? Um, I, I would say this. Is if we have a pain... We all will go to our doctor and get a pill for it, and it will make us feel better. And it's there to increase our quality of life and to, make us, and, and to help us, is to assist us. However, is drug use acceptable in sport? If I have that same pain, but I'm competing in a sport, and I go to my doctor and get something to help me with that pain, and I test you for it, that could, may be considered an analytical, adverse analytical finding. That would be a positive test. So is there a difference? I don't know. Do we expect our athletes to play in pain? Do you, are we expecting you to go through your life in pain? These are some philosophical things that are... You're going to have to get some type of philosopher up here. I can't answer those questions. And um, the other one is, is there a difference? And the last one is, why take the risk? Um, there are people out there that take huge risks. And uh, I've met them. I've talked with them. Um, the uh, most eye-opening... Um, interview I've ever seen was we had Michael Berry come talk to us. Michael Berry, and I will, uh, well, I'll just show you. Well, I'll, actually, I'll just go to here. Michael Berry. He, um, 
is a Canadian cyclist, probably one of the top Canadian cyclists ever. He was a part of the U.S. Postal Service uh, racing team, cycling team, and he raced with uh, Lance Armstrong. And uh, he came to us in our conference and spoke to us. And he took questions from the floor, and he told us exactly why he did it, how he did it, and how it affected his family, and what the repercussions of that were. And that was, I, that was quite eye-opening. And so um, he had his own reasons. I didn't agree with all of them, but, but I, I, you know, at first, I, my opinion of him was he was a cheater. I, I said, you're a cheater. I, you know, I don't want to listen to you. But by the end, I actually was sympathizing with him. I said, you know, I understand now a little bit more why you did it. And, you know, I wish I had a little more time. I could tell you why, but he, he had his own reasons, but he did it. And he's suffering the consequences now. Um, and I guess with anti-doping, there are rules. Sport and society pretty much cannot exist without rules or agreed-upon conducts, codes of conduct. You know, is cheating wrong? Of course it's wrong. Um, you know, it's someone taking a shortcut in the marathon, a curved hockey stick, gambling baseball. It's all in the same package of taking a pill, which would give you an a, a, uh, a unfair advantage over someone else. So... Um, I'm going to just go, oh, oh, I should talk about this. So I guess some of these are just some of the questions that have been posed to me. Where, I've, where have I tested? Who have I tested that was positive? Unfortunately, um, I can't actually tell you the names <laughs> because they have up to four years. Well, I, I shouldn't say that exactly, but they have several years to contest it. So if it is, uh, if they want to um, fight the positive uh, doping uh, result, they can take it to arbitration, and then I would have to go testify, so I actually can't say who. But... I've actually caught three athletes already, so and I've only been doing this in 2008. Um, but some of them, the best, uh, I shouldn't say best, yeah, the, the best. The best events that I've been to is the, the Winter Olympics, um, the Feast is uh, the World Cup. Uh, I've been to the World Junior Hockey Championships twice. Uh, I'm pretty much the WHL hockey tester, so I get sent everywhere with hockey. Um, testing, uh, the registered testing pool of athletes, baseball, CIS, and domestic athletes, so it's taken me to several different places, and I'm, and it's been it's been a lot of fun. I've been ha- had a lot of uh, good experience and met a lot of good people. Um, okay, I want to take a little time. How much time do I have anyway? <laughs> do you have a phone? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I want to take a little time just to talk about some of the technical parts of doping, and then I'll just finish off with maybe a little bit of some. Uh, some pictures and some just nice experiences. So, so what is doping? Doping is the international term that refers to the use of performance-enhancing methods or substances. So what constitutes doping? Okay, number one, it has to scientifically proven that it will increase your performance. So if I take this pill or I inject this drug into my body, it, will, it is scientifically proven that it will make me faster, stronger, bigger, whatever. It has to be scientifically proven. Number two, it has to scientifically proven that it hurts me. It is a health risk. There are some things out there that I can take that will improve my performance, but it's scientifically proven that won't hurt me. Sounds pretty good. I want to take that. There are some things out there that are scientifically proven that will increase my performance, but will also be a health risk to me or a, a, will, will be harmful to my body. The third one, though, is this is that if you take the substance or do this, it will violate the spirit of the sport. What does that mean? That's the philosophy of it. There are some items on the banned list that fall into that category directly. For example, alcohol. 
um, they don't want the uh, they don't want to have on TV the national champion of badminton. I'm just making this up. Uh, accept his award and be drunk, okay? Because it violates the spirit of the sport. Is it performance enhancing? No, it's not performance enhancing. But will it harm him? Probably if he drinks enough. But it also violates the spirit of the sport. So it meets two of the three criteria. Therefore, alcohol is a banned substance. I'll test for it. If it's in your system, it's a violation, for example. Okay. So any, maybe we can save that for a question because there are a lot. The number one question I get from athletes is, why is marijuana a banned substance? And it, because it meets number two or number three, and it's harmful to you. Does it increase your performance? Not really. <laughs> makes you think so, probably, but anyways. Okay. <laughs> or makes you hungry or something. I don't know. Okay. So what is a Joe Patrol officer? It's an official who has been trained and authorized by the CCS with delegated responsibility for the on-site management of a sample collection session. I have the authority to go to an athlete's house, 6 in the morning, knock on his door, wake him up, take his blood and urine. Okay? That's pretty much what it comes down to. Anytime I want. Uh, let me rephrase that. Not anytime. Whenever I'm told, I can do that. Okay? <laughs> um, so, there are two types of testing. In-competition testing and out-of-competition testing. In-comp means if you're at a national championships, Olympics, Pan Am Games, wherever it is, athletes expect to be tested. And I always say this to them. I say, look... Don't be mad at me because you're the best. We only test the best. And they always go, okay, no problem. I'm not going to test someone who's not very good because <laughs> there's no result. Yeah. Out of competition, if, you are a, if you're part of the registered testing pool, you have to submit a whereabouts. means that in, for the next three months, you must submit online where you are at all times. They'll go to the whereabouts and say, we want to test you at this point. This time, on this date, they'll go to the whereabouts and say, you should be at this place testing. I'll go to that place to look for you. If you're not there, okay, fine. We'll find you at your next place. If you miss the second one, well, maybe. And if you miss three in a row, that means that is a positive test because you're avoiding us. Okay, So they must register online and tell us where they are. Um, and our motto, again, is anytime, anywhere. We will do that. I will... Maybe save a story for when we tried to catch a downhill skier that started in Fernie, tried to find him in Colorado. He moved to Colorado to Spain, went to Spain to Italy, and just kept moving. He trained and moved, trained and moved, trained and moved. And so we'll eventually catch up with those people too, eventually. Okay, what is a doping control violation? I won't go over every one, but what is a positive test? If you meet one of these seven criteria, it's a positive test. The biggest one is if we test the urine, the water lab in Montreal tests it. It comes up with something that's not supposed to be there. It's a positive test. It's pretty clear, cut, and dry. Um, some of them are refusals. Some of them are attempted use or of a substance. So meaning you have it, you possess it, you're, you're, you shouldn't be around it. Tampering with the process, uh, evading, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. I'll leave that up to the lawyers to try and deal with how that happens, but that's just a doping violation. What are the consequences? They've upped these all to four years. So we just were told this this last month. So possession, possession, presence, possession, and use is generally a two-year ban. Refusals and tampering are two-year ban. If you traffic or administer it, it's a four-year ban from the sport. And that's it. This is the big one. All doping violations are made public to the media. I get an email. 
and, and the whole country gets the email of who that athlete I tested was and what was in his system or her, her system, and it's made public to the media. If you're good enough, they'll print it. And so um, that's just a policy of the CADP. I won't go into all the litigation stuff of how to fight a positive test, but that's pretty much the criteria. Um, but really the big one is this, that there is strict liability. The with strict liability, what that means is you are ultimately responsible for what you consume and what is found in your urine and your blood. You can't say, I didn't know or I wasn't sure. A lot of the responsibility rests on an athlete to know what goes into their system. These are the things on the prohibited list. I won't go over every one in terms of the technical things, but pretty much if you have something in your system these are not allowed in your system. Anabolic agents or steroids that make your muscles grow freakishly big. Uh, hormones, related hormones, beta-2 agonists, asthma medications. I, I better just quickly talk about number four. That is an agent with anti-estrogenic activity. Quickly, what it is is that in our bodies, if you are a boy, you have more testosterone to your estrogen ratio. So your testosterone to epitestosterone ratio. If you are a girl, you have a lower ratio, so you have less testosterone to your estrogen or epitestosterone. What is out there now, which is very hard to detect, is you'll take a pill and all it'll do is suppress your natural body's production of estrogen, which drops your estrogen, which makes your ratio higher naturally. So it will force, it'll allow you to, uh, thanks, could you help me with that? <laughs> uh, Anyways, it allow you to naturally make more muscle because you've just altered your ratio. And that, instead of injecting yourself with testosterone, it makes it higher. So, I think it's that. Thanks. There it is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry. Technical. Thank you. No computer drugs. <laughs> I think so, but if you want to... Maybe I can just unplug it. Sure, if you want to do that, sounds good. Well, apparently we're going to have lunch early, five minutes, <laughs> and then we can have some other questions if you'd like uh, while this loads or comes alive. Um, but I guess what I'll do is I'll just summarize in terms of the doping is that um, on that list, if you have any of those substances in your system, then obviously that's a positive test, so that's pretty clear. Um, I guess just to, to wrap up in terms of the doping uh, sessions, um, a lot of people will ask, well, how does it occur? Oh, maybe. 
how do how do athletes get tested? Um, there is a process. Um, there's a notification. So uh, there's uh, many situations where athletes will say, well, I didn't know I was being tested. Um, we will receive essentially what the process that I'll receive an email. Sometimes with a, a day before, sometimes it'll be three months before, it'll be a test that will be either a random test or it'll be a targeted test. A targeted test has your name on it and it says go find them at this time. And that is usually a little bit more um, serious, I guess, because they're looking for something. And um, the frequency of testing has gone up uh, exponentially. I've become busier, much busier over the last year, all of a sudden. And so um, the funding has increased for testing. The tests are extremely, extremely expensive. I think every test uh, is very, well, I, they won't tell me the exact amount. <laughs> I'm sure for obvious reasons, but it's probably close to $1,000 a test. And, um, and so, uh, you know, but in order to do that, you need to have the, the political will or the will to do it as well, to put your money where your mouth is. And so there is more funding available for that too. And I think that's being driven by the public in terms of what to uh, what they would like to have done. So, okay, I think because of time, I'm going to stop there. So I will stop. And um, I have some pictures from the Winter Olympics as well. They're just the fun stuff. I didn't go over the technical things. But um, um, I'll leave it there, and I guess we can have lunch because I am hungry like everyone else. And then if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them at that time. Okay? Thank you. Thank you.